Hey, uh, I, I am really excited to kick off this series uh, today for a couple of reasons. I've been looking forward to it for months, uh, but especially today for two reasons. One is I know that last weekend uh, some of you came to Easter, and that was your first time coming to either this church or any church maybe in a long time. And, it, and it, you, maybe you sat in here and went, uh, it wasn't terrible. I'll go back. And so this is your second week, and so we want to welcome you back to that. The other thing I'm really excited about is right now is la- last week we, uh, we tried our first online streaming uh, uh, of, of our service, and uh, it, it blows my mind. And we're doing that right now. Uh, we had a, a, somewhere around a little over 30,000 people at our five campuses, and then another 23,000 people streamed us live on, online last weekend from 18 different countries and all 50 states and three different military bases. One guy says, I'm at a military base, I can't tell you where I am. And I'm like, that's so cool. All right? So, so wherever you are out there, thank you for your service. And, uh, right? Give it up for them. Yeah, the other, other reason I'm really excited about this is we all come to church with a lot of baggage, a lot of ideas about God, about us, and about, about the world, and that's what I want to look at today. We're, we're going to start this, um, this new series where we're going to ask this question over the next five weeks, over and over, what in the world is God doing? Like, what are you doing, God? And, and I think that might be uh, possibly um, the most frequently asked question. I know my, my question comes out of my brain, but, but of human beings in general. I mean, we ask that all the time, right? We see something happen in the world that we can't understand or we, we've never seen it before. And our first question, like, God, is, are you doing that? Is that you? Right? And how, how, how do we know that's you? And, and let's be honest. Most of the time when we go, hey, God, what are you doing? It's because something bad happened. We don't like it. And we want to blame him. Right, like uh, cancer and car wrecks and hurricanes and earthquakes and stuff like that, we put a finger in God's chest and go, explain yourself to me. Why would you do or allow or cause or whatever that is, all right? So, so usually things are going pretty bad when we say, hey, God, what are you doing and why are you doing it like that? Because well, I'll be honest, most of the time when things are good in my life, I don't, I don't really go to God with it. I just assume he likes it. That's why it happened. Because I like it. I'm not going to ask questions, all right? Uh, so I'll, I'll even spiritualize it and go, it's so good and I like it, so it must be God's will. You ever, you ever just like, it's God's will, and then it makes you feel better, right? Until it goes bad, and then you flip on God and go, why are you doing this now? Like, is he, oh, you brought her into my life. Thank you. It's God's will. And then she turns into a demon, and you go, God, what are you doing? And it's like, I mean, you've never done that, but don't point at anybody. Anyway, so, so the question, though, is if, if there is a God, right? And so some of us are trying to figure that out. A lot of us are thinking there might be, all right? So if there is a God, is he actively doing anything in the world today? I mean, there's some people that think that maybe God started the whole thing and just set it in motion. Now he sits back and says, good luck, I'll see you in heaven and hell, or hell, if you figured it out, all right? So is God actively involved in the world? And if he is, how are you able to recognize and point at it and go, that's God? How do you know? I mean, is it possible, you know, if you go, okay, that is God, all right? Is it possible, and how would we do this, to join him in that? Rather than doing what I always do is I just do what I want to do and then ask God to bless what I'm doing and you'll get on board with my plans, and it goes well for a while, and then it falls apart, and then I blame, I blame God. So, so, so I, what, God, what are you doing in the world? How will I know it's you? And then could I be a part of that? So, so logically, again, if you want to know like, what kind of things God does in the world, you'd have to know what kind of God he is, right? That would do something like that. I mean, this is what, this is, let me put a, a sentence to it. So this is how we live our lives when it comes to God and what happens in the world. God is like this, we, we think that he's like this, and then he does things like that. So when something like that happens, and we think, well, that's because God's like this. What blows up our world sometimes is when that happens, we can't explain it, and we go, is that God? 
because that's not how I thought he, he was. And so that's what this whole series is going to be about. And there's going to be two different levels of application on this. We're going to take the application of what God's doing in the world, like around the planet, and we're going we're gonna to kind of spotlight one of our international partners. I just got back from visiting all of our international partners to see what God was doing there. So the application is God's like this, and he does things like this in the world. We're going to look at Afghanistan today, one of our, our partners. But my, my hope is, is that along the way, if we, if we discover God's like this and does things like this, then maybe he does that in my life too. So not just on the other side of the planet, but maybe he does that in my marriage or in my heart or in my family or in my addictions or, wh- or whatever that is, all right? So, so there's a big application, like, God, what are you doing in the world and can I be a part of that? And then, hey, God, what, what, what might you wanna do in, in my world? Okay, so now, you know, uh, so I just got back from Africa and, 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 uh, and Europe and I, and I visit all our partners. So anytime I, I leave Colorado, um, so if, so if you've been around here a while, you know he's back, buckle up, because he gets weird when he gets back uh, from internet. And here's why, is like when you get away from the noise of everyday life, sometimes you can just hear God better. Sometimes I just go to the mountains, sometimes I go to Afghanistan, and I just hear, I, I hear God better. And so, so again, buckle up, you're gonna have to give me some space today. Because I, what I'm gonna talk about today, you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're gonna probably walk out of here and go, I didn't know he was that smart. I read a book. There you go, all right, so, um, so I wanna talk about some stuff that's pretty heady. Some of you are gonna really dig this. You're like, this is so intellectual and this is philosophy and stuff like that. And some of you are gonna go, are you gonna tell a fart joke or not? And I, I get it, I'm gonna try to do both today, but what, what, <laughs> welcome to Flatirons. Yeah. It's like, I, my grandma's here, shut up, Jim. All right, so, all right, so, so I, I, when I say philosophy, what I wanna talk about is the way things are, the way things work, the way you work. The way you work with yourself, the way you work with God, the way you work with uh, other people. So, so if you get lost in this, I get it. Stick with me as best you can. And then uh, uh, somewhere in there, I kind of land the plane. And you'll hopefully at the end of this hour, here's the, the phrase I want you walking out of, of here with is this. I never, I never thought about it like that. If you walk out of here, you don't have to agree with me on everything or anything really. But I, I want you to actually think about some things, maybe in a way that you've never thought about, especially when it comes to God. Because again, a lot of us brought some stuff in here that maybe we need to rethink, all right? So, so again, I, I, I have been reading. So one of my favorite authors and teachers of all time uh, is a guy named Dallas Willard. So I'm gonna go a little Dallas Willard on you. Um, he wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy that other than the Bible has been the most impactful book on, in my life, all right? I highly, highly recommend it, all right? So I, I, I've been reading him. He passed away a few, few years ago. And, and so I, I, that's one of those things you go on. If there's a person I could have met, that I didn't get to meet, but I'm gonna see him in heaven. But anyway, so I'm gonna go a little Dallas Willard on you, and I'm reading some of his stuff. He makes some assumptions about life, and I read that, and I never thought of it like that, and now I make the same assumptions, and so I'm gonna throw them at you and see if, if you can hang on to them as well, right? So assumption number one, and this is gonna blow up some of your worlds, and you're gonna have to rethink some stuff, and that's okay, hang, hang on, all right? But, but let me unpack this for you. Assumption number one is we are at the mercy of our ideas, not our beliefs, we're at the mercy of our ideas. Our ideas run our lives. And some of you are going, uh-uh, my faith runs my life. No, it doesn't. Your ideas run your faith. All right, you got so what, what do you mean by that? Explain, all right. So are, your, your ideas, all right, are, are how you see everything. It's how you think about everything. Whenever you look at something and go, my, you know, my idea of that is, that's your idea, right? And, and it's like your internal map in your, in your brain and in your heart. It's how you navigate the world, how we see things, how we, how we think about things. Uh, they're, they're, they're formed all through our life. 
From the time we're born until the moment you're sitting in this chair, listen to my voice right now, your ideas are being, being, being formed. We talked about this a, a, a few months ago. It's like when you're born, your life is a blank sheet of paper, and over the next days and weeks and months and years and decades, all stuff gets put on there and written on there and, and, and scribbled on there, whatever, and then you read that and go, that's who I am, that's how life works, that's, how, that's who I am to God, that's who God is to me, whatever. You, you read that, and, and everything goes on that page, and it, it forms who you are, good, bad, you know, happy, or painful. All, all your life, your ideas are being formed, and then you see the world through that, through that lens, like, like, um, like, like words. Words form your ideas. So, so like I read some uh, book out of Dallas Willard, right, and, and, and these words were in, in his book, and I said, I never thought about it like that, and I gotta rethink some stuff. I'm throwing words at you right now. And you're gonna take those words and you're gonna say, okay, I gotta, I gotta put those with what I, I thought I believed and see if it's different or if it's the, the same. All, all your life, your, your ideas have been, been being changed. Like um, uh, you listen to me, I listen to music all week long. And sometimes I listen to music and I think that expresses who I am. But sometimes I think that music makes me who I am. Right, or it just, it just comes over and it kind of forms me into something. I live in this culture, I live in this society, I live in this, this day and age and, 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 and everything forms who I am, and the idea that I can see the world or see God apart from who I am, it's just, it's just foolish. For example, I'm a, I'm a 56-year-old white guy born in America, all right, and, and I have this kind of parents, all right, I have this kind of marriage, I have these kind of kids, I have this kind of health, I have this kind of income, this kind of thing's happened to me when I was a kid, this happened to me in my 20s, this happened in my 30s. It's just ridiculous for me to say, that has nothing to do with how I see God, or you, or when I look in the mirror and see myself. It all is the lens that I see everything through. So your ideas run everything, including who you think God is. Everybody with me? It's gonna get deep. Oh, sensei, here we go. All right, so here's the next one, all right? Some of you may or may not agree with this. That's all right, all right? So assumption number two is the Bible was written by fairly intelligent people who wrote through what they saw and experienced. So we're gonna look at a guy named John and, and, and he spent time with Jesus and it formed his idea. We're gonna look at that, right? But not just what, what he, you know, how he interpreted it, also that, that he the, and the other writers, they were guided by God's, God, God's spirit. And so to, to the extent that we, we, we can look at the Bible and say it, it can be regarded as a reliable source for God to communicate all that he deems necessary as important and essential for us to get the right idea about him. He, he guided, guarded it just to make sure you're going, listen, what you need to know with my spirit in you, I, you can know, you can get the right idea about me. So whatever it is that you believe about God, if you were to finish this, this sentence, God is, and then you fill in the blank, whatever you would fill in the blank with is the result or the outcome of, of your life, of your formed ideas, what you've experienced in your life. And now you think that what you believe is true is. But how do you know? How, how do you know, right? Like, I, again, I, I've been around the world quite a bit. I've met some people that are not 56-year-old white guys born in America, in the, in the Midwest, in this, you know, right? And they have different ideas about God and about themselves and about other people. Who's right and how do you know? Right, that's what, I, that's what I want to look at, all right? So, so how do you know that what you believe is true? And you know what, if you didn't think it was true, you'd believe something else. So there's a reason you believe that that's true. How do you know that, that what you're holding on to actually is true? And the answer is reality. Dallas Willard quote, here it is, all right? So this is worth coming to church for. Get your phone out. This is better than anything else I could come up with, all right? But this is, this is it. Reality is what you run into when you're wrong. That's so deep, all right? You had a reality check, what? So I thought that I was right, 
about this part of life, about marriage, about sexuality, about intimacy, about relationships, about money, about parenting, about friendship, about blah, 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 blah. I thought I was right. I ran my life by that. And you know what? And then that ran into a wall and it fell apart. And now, you know, I, uh, I, I might need to rethink this. The most effective way to figure out if what you believe is right or wrong is when your life hits a wall. And did it take care of you? Which is why Jesus said over and over, like anytime you get up, before he would begin to teach anything new about God, he would always start with the same word before he said, okay, I'm gonna teach you about God. Remember what that word was? Repent, repent, look at this. Repent, let me just put this in gym language. You might wanna rethink how you think about everything. All your ideas that you've been holding on to, you might wanna hold loosely, why? Because I'm about to blow up your world when it comes to who you think God is. And, and, and your idea of God, it, it might not be right. So you might want to rethink what you think is true about God and what he is doing in the world. Okay, is everybody with me so far? Okay, wake somebody up next to you or something like that going, this is good. You should listen. All right, sorry. So see, I, I, let me just tell you this. Or I'm going to be really honest, all right? I love this talk. I'll probably be the only one that buys a CD. I, that's okay with me, all right? I, I, I just think this is it's good. It's, uh, you're welcome. All right, so, all right, so. Okay, so let's keep going. So in the, in the back of all of our auditoriums, like right every week, there are free Bibles. This is one of those moments where I wish everybody would have gotten one. And if on your way out today, be sure and get one because I want you to read the whole chapter that we're gonna look at today. So at least write down the scriptures or take a picture of them when you, when you get because the whole, what we're gonna look at is it's really, really good. So, so we're gonna look at a guy named John. So John was the youngest of the 12 disciples. Okay, so whenever we think about Bible people or disciples, something like that, we think old people with beards and like, Oh, verily, verily. That, you know, those kind of, kind of people, stuff like that. No, John was probably like 15 when he became a disciple. He's the youngest disciple, which I just, I love that. Because if he's 15 and Jesus is like 30, 31, in my mind, Jesus is his youth pastor. John, get in the van, shut up. You know, here we go, all right? So, because I was a youth pastor for 20 years and that's, that's what we do, all right? So, so the other part about John that I really, really like is that the Bible describes John as the disciple Jesus loved. And I'm sure he loved all of them, but why, why does... Why does it take the time to go, this is the kid Jesus loved? There's something special going on there. So much so that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks down and he sees John standing by his mother, Mary, and says, John, take care of her. So something really tight and really important is going on there. So, so John, all right, he's 15, 16 years old. He spends three years Leaves home and follows Jesus around, okay? Like those formative high school years, like Jesus is his mentor, all right? He follows him around and maybe writes things down. He does this. When this happens, he said this. One time I saw him do this. This lady got thrown at his feet one time and, and he, you know, he forgave her. He loved her. So he, he just keeps all this down. So at the end of three years, and then after this, and we're going to look later, the several, several decades of following him, all right? John describes Jesus, like, okay, I, I've been with this guy for a long time, um, so here's my image of God based on watching Jesus, all right? And this is what John writes. So he, he, wrote, he wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. I think that's kind of arrogant. I'll just name it after me. And, uh, uh, but but, but this, this guy is so good. So, so just follow along. So it says this. In the beginning, stop right there. Does that sound familiar? Page one of the Bible. All right, so the same thing. Okay, so in the beginning was the Word. Now we find out later that anytime John says the word Word, he's actually talking about, uh, about Jesus. And so what I did is I took Jesus and I put it, I just inserted it there. Anytime that we're talking about the Word or a pronoun associated with that, just so we keep track of who John is referring to. You with me? Okay, you're welcome. All right, so in the beginning was the Word, 
and the word was with God, and the word was God. Do you hear what he just said? My image of Jesus is that he is God. That's my, that's my conclusion, all right? He, still talking about Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus, and without him, Jesus, was not anything made that was made. In him was life. In Jesus is life, and the life was the light of men. That's really, really important. So Jesus is, is light of, uh, of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, time out. That's just physics. All right, so we all agree with this, all right? So if you're in a dark room, if you turn on the light, darkness leaves. You can't turn on the darkness. There's not that switch doesn't exist. All you do is remove the light and darkness. So, so light always overcomes darkness. And Jesus agrees with you. That's all he's saying. It's, like, it's the same thing with me, all right? The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, Jesus, still talking about him, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, didn't recognize him, didn't acknowledge him. And the word became flesh and dwelt or lived among us. I love this. And we, this is John talking, I have seen his glory. So you get this, all right? This kid is now an older man when he writes this. He goes, so I didn't learn this in a book. I didn't go to church and someone taught me this. My grandpa didn't sit me down by the fire and go, so many years ago there was a guy. No, no, I saw him. With my own eyes, all right? I've seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of, and this is what flatters me, hold on to both of these things, not either or, full of grace and truth. Now my question in all that, all right, is this question. Why does John use the word word to describe Jesus? Why did he just call him Jesus? In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus, why, why, does, he, why does he call him the word? You read, buckle up, right? Philosophy time, all right? So he, here we go, all right? So I think you can hang with this, all right? Words, like we wrote down words, we read words all, all week long, all right? So words are physical representations of something else. You hang with me? Yes, yeah, all right. So, so if I were to write C-A-T, if you know how to read, you would go cat. And you know what you'd immediately think about? Something that's not here, I hope, all right? All right, you would think of a, a little kitty cat or something, like, or a tiger, or whatever that is, all right? But if I said C-A-T, uh, the, the letters, if you know how to read the letters, they bring together a, a, an image, right? And it's what you think about. Now, here's the other thing. You with me? It's deep, all right? Words, when put in a certain order, make a sentence. And words put in an order that you've never seen them before can actually convey a, a reality, past, present, or future, and out of that, if you can read it, you might get a new idea about what could be. What was, what is, or what could be, and then if, if you actually have a new idea about what might be possible, then you might believe it. And if you believe it, maybe you'd see things in a different way. You never thought about it like that. Right? So why does John choose to call Jesus the word instead of just saying his name? One more verse. Look at this. No one has ever seen God. And God here is God the Father. No one's ever seen him. All right? The only God, and the translation is the only son of God, which would be Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him who? God the Father. Jesus the Son has made God the Father 
known. So what's all that means? It means this. If you, if you want to know what God is like and what kind of things he does in the world and continues to do in the world, ready? This is why we're here. We got to learn to read better. What do you mean? The word. What do you mean? Jesus. We got to read Jesus better, right? If we want to know what he's like. Because if we could read him and then get a new idea, maybe it would change our ideas about God. If we change our idea about God, maybe that would change our ideas about who we are and then what needs to happen in the world. See, if, if you believe, then you'll, maybe, maybe you'll trust him more. And if you trust him more, maybe you'll follow him more. And if you'll follow him more, maybe he will spiritually transform you into the same kind of person he is so you think his thoughts and then want to do the same things he does. See, spiritual transformation, we talk about it all the time in here, is simply this. I'm holding on to ideas and images that are wrong and they're lies and they're destructive in my life and I'm trying to replace those with the same images that Jesus thought about. When Jesus thought God the Father, he has something in mind. I wanna say God the Father and go, I think the same thing. Does that make sense? See, when we say God is Father, that's a good thing for some of us. You're like, good, I had a great father, and if he's even better than that, that's great. Some of us, you know, we hear God the Father, and that's an obstacle to get over. Because our father was not good. I don't know, but he was gone. And so just to try to say God's the Father, that actually is baggage, all right? But what if we consider God the Father like Jesus was thinking about, because his mind thought about and knew, and tried to paint a picture, this is the image of God. And he's my father, and you can trust him, unlike yours. And we form a new idea, and then we trust him. Now, all that's pretty heady stuff, all right? And I even got lost teaching it. I have notes down here, all right? So, so let, me, let me put it in a, a metaphor or a parable form, okay? So I, I'm reading the, the, the biography of, the, of, of Dallas Willard, right? And, and about halfway through it, I found this story that comes from a guy named Carl Yates, who was a Baylor professor of philosophy back in the 50s who taught Dallas along the way, right? And, and he tells this story. And, and when, I, when I read this story, it formed this whole talk I'm giving to you today. It's very, very, it's a beautiful talk. It ought to be in the Bible. All right, so it goes like this. So Yates tells this story about there's this little boy. He's sitting in class, and he's drawing a picture. He's just really going at it, so much so that other kids in the class come and start to see what, what he's doing. The teacher comes over to his desk, looks over to his shoulder, and says, son, what are, what are you drawing? And the little boy doesn't even look up. He says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher kind of condescendingly says, uh, nobody knows what God even looks like. The boy didn't even miss a beat. He goes, they'll know when I'm finished. <laughs> I love that. That, again, that should be in the Bible. And see, because that's what John meant when he says, oh, okay, no one's seen the Father. So Jesus is the Word. And the Word put on flesh so we know what he looks like. Right? And, and, and it's, when, when you see God through Jesus, then maybe you'll get a picture painted of who he is, really, and then you'll rethink the ideas about God you've been hanging on to, and maybe you'll, you'll trust him. Jesus is the word. He's gonna write a new sentence going, you might wanna rethink that. Now let's go back to, to Jesus' good friend John, okay? So, so years later, all right, he's not a kid anymore, he, he, he's, he's seen Jesus, you know, Nailed to a cross, stuck in a hole, raised from the dead, spent time with him. And then over the next several decades, until he's an old man, he spends his whole life telling people about, let me tell you who, who Jesus is. And through Jesus, let me tell you who God, God is. And so much so that the Roman government eventually said, because he won't shut up and let go of his ideas, they put him on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean and say, you have to stay there. He writes all of the things that he writes from a jail cell. And finally, tradition says that they boiled him alive in oil. And all he had to do to walk away is go, give up your idea, change your mind. I won't do it. He's pretty committed. 
to the idea of who, who God is. And so at the end of his life, this is what, what he writes about, what he learned from Jesus, what he read in Jesus, what Jesus painted for him about who God is and what kind of things he does back then and still today. Look at this. He says this. He says, this is the message that we have heard from Jesus. And I, I'm gonna take some liberty, with, and I don't, I don't think I'm doing disservice to this at all, but based on what we just studied, I could take the word message and go, this is the sentence that, that Jesus wrote for me. Does that make sense? And now I'm gonna declare it to you. This is what he revealed to me, I'm gonna reveal it to you. So if I, if I, could, if I could wrap God up in, in, in one word, God is what? Light. So you might wanna write that down. So what, what is he like? God is light. In him, in God, there is no darkness at all. So, so it, Jesus is the word, so give me a word that describes God. God is light. And what would a God of light do in a world that we live in? And the answer is God shines light into dark places and overcomes darkness, and when he does that, it drives out fear. And everybody, everybody knows what I'm talking about because the scariest moments of your life happened in the dark. Driving down a road and the fog was so, or the snow, and, and you couldn't see past the, the front bumper, and you think you know where you're going, but you can't see. Or maybe the lights go out, the electricity goes out, and you're wandering through their house, and you think you know where everything is, but you're just waiting to bang your shin, and there's a nerve there connected to a bad word. You know, all right? I, I think Jesus gives you a pass. It's all right. But anyway, anyway and you're wondering, am I going to run into something, or is something going to run into me? And you live your life like this. Anybody live their life like this, just waiting for something to hit them? And then somebody turns on the light, and you go, okay. I'm all right now. God says, I'm light. That's what I want to do in your life. You're walking around like this, just waiting for somebody to hit you again or, or for you to accidentally just run over somebody again. Let me turn on the light. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Does it make sense? So John says, this is my image, my idea of God. This is what he does. Here's the next one, all right? He says this, if we confess our sins, and sins is just like, I tried to do what God said, I didn't do it, or I just aimed at something else because I wanted something different. I've come to a point in my life where I want you, not that. If we confess our sins... God is, and what's that word? So he's light, now we find out he's faithful. The best way to tell you what faithful is is to give the opposite of faithful, liar. Change my mind, renege on my promise. So we, some of us are victims of that. I'll stay with you and I'll love you till death do us part, you know, for better or worse, whatever. You know what, they lied. God's not that. He's faithful. He's faithful. What do you mean? He's faithful and he's just. That's justice. And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise. It's what happened in that sheet paint thing last week where he said he's going to take your you know, sin and put it on Jesus and take the righteousness and put it on you. He promises you that. So God is light. God is faithful. He doesn't lie. What do you mean? God, this is what he does in the world. God keeps his promises and will do everything he promised that he would do in your life. If God made you a promise he would do it, he will do it. He can't lie. You know where you're hung up? You thought he would do it by Tuesday, right? Or you thought he would do it this way, and so what your idea of why he was gonna do that, it's just different. But if God promised, and you heard him correctly, he, he cannot deny himself. He can't lie. He has to keep his promise. It's who he is. He's faithful, all right? Let's keep on going. It gets better. Look at this. This is how God showed his love among us. So you want, how do I know God loves me? Well, this is how he showed it. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world that we might live through Jesus. Now, look at this. So this is love. Not that we loved God. I mean, of course we love God. But that's, a, that's this, all right? That, that's a small definition of love. That, that's not love. I, I, the Easter, 
I broke every link of the chain. And then he switched my accounts and gave me righteousness. And then I go up and I think I'm holding on to Jesus. And then I make a mistake and I fall. And you know what? He still holds on to me. Of course I love him. All right? That's, now that we love God, how about this? All right? But that he loved us. Time out. Why? So you're going, well, I think I'm a pretty. Don't even try. You don't even believe that. Well, I, I, okay. All right, so, all right, all right. He loved us. That blows our mind. What do you mean? How much did he love us? He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. That means he paid for every sin. They're gone. Because this is love, all right, that he did that for us. And so we know, and I love this word, and we rely. That means I'm just leaning. I'm really, it's holding me up. It's holding me together. This is what, it's, this is what my life is about, all right? His love. I rely on his love that God has, that God has for us. God is, give it to me, love. It's not that he's loving. It's like that. He's love. He is love. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So he's, he's light and he's faithful. And now God is love. So what, what would a loving God do in the world? What has he done in the past? What would he do today? Same thing. God leaves where he is, heaven, and he goes to those he loves. Now, look at this. This is, blows my mind, right? Before we love him back. Now, that just blew up a bunch of Christians, like, whole way you're living your life. Here's a lot of what we're doing. I always grew up thinking that if I cleaned up my act and stopped doing that and cut way back on that and went to church more and got baptized in two weeks, whatever that is, if I just showed him that I'm actually worth loving, he would actually give me the time of day and move in my direction. No, no, he came in your direction before you even knew him or cared about him or liked him, let alone trusted him. He, this is love that he did that, not that we responded. This, that's love, all right? So God leaves where he is and goes to those he loves before we love him back. Why would he do that? To do what needs to be done so that they, we, can experience life. See, a day is coming when maybe your idea of God will change and everything's ready. Well, don't I have to do this? Nope. You just have to trust him. See, Jesus, John says, Jesus came to put words to God to change your bad idea of who God is. He's so much better than, than who you thought he was and paint a picture so you know what he's like and what he does in the world. He's light and he shines light in the dark places of your life so you don't have to be afraid. I, I don't know who said this, so I'm gonna say I, I said it because it's really wise. Listen to this. Um, when, when you have God, when you're in God, there is no place in the universe where you have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid. Well, you don't know what I, yeah, I, I don't know. God does. He's, I'm there. But I'm facing, I know, right? And he says, you don't have to be afraid. I, I'll drive out fear. I'll shine a light into that. There's no place in the universe. There's nothing anyone can do to you. Bring it on that you have to be afraid anymore because you're not alone. He's that good. God is faithful. He will do everything necessary, including laying down his life, to give you what you need. If you need it, ask him, and he will give it to you. You say, well, I, but I want this. Okay, you don't need that. But if you need it, and God agrees, yeah, you do need that, he will move heaven and earth to give you what you need. So ask him in his name. He promises, right? And he can't lie. God is love, and he left, and he still goes to the places wherever we need him to come and be with us. Those who don't know him yet, those who call a different image God, he goes to them. And they, don't, they haven't received him yet, but one day, this is why you're here, one day you're gonna change your mind, go, I never thought about God like that, maybe. 
So my question is, if God's like that, and the Bible says he never changes, where, is it, where do we see God like that in the world doing things like that right now? 